Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast, On the Beat podcast, sponsored by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. On the Beat, of course, means I've got Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and the Ross Martin. We'll start off with Ross Martin. Ross, Monday afternoon here as we record this podcast, Carolina basketball getting ready to go to Virginia Tech on Wednesday night, now at 8 and 9. I think I saw first time under 500 since the Santa Clara ball game that started the 04-05 season. Certainly different circumstances there, um, but that game was very similar to this season. No point guard, no wins for Carolina. Where do they go? We talked about it on the we we talked about it on the post game podcast. You know what's there left to do? So I'll ask you the same question I asked Dewey: What's left to do for Roy Williams and this team to make some semblance of a season? Man, just hope and pray until Cole comes back because I, I didn't see much improvement against uh, Pitt on Saturday. You know, down twenty at halftime. Um, I mean, that was embarrassing. At Pitt, you, a team that was you know was beatable, and they they were up against in Chapel Hill. I don't really know where to turn. I mean, I, I, there's no takeaways. I was thinking about it, kind of getting ready for this podcast. I mean, there's not many takeaways, positive takeaways from that game. Um, I thought we saw some signs of improvement against Clemson in the games before that, but this was a step back. I thought um, didn't play well on the road, four straight losses. You know, winnable winnable games ahead. Like I said last time, Virginia Tech, Miami, NC State, Boston College. There's winnable games left on the schedule before it gets really tough with Florida State, Duke, Virginia, Louisville, teams like that. So, man, I, I, I'm I'm lost for words. I know we have to do this podcast. We have to come up with something. But it's kind of wait for Cole and go from there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anywhere else we can take take it from here. And I'll try to build off that. Gregory, uh, I'll get you in here early before I go to Barnes. I mean, same question. It, it, it is unbelievable to me, um, and not, but not entirely um, surprising that this is a, a hope and pray and wait for Cole type situation. But like Ross said, I, I didn't see much in that Pittsburgh game up there that lent me to believe that Carolina would do much until Anthony's back out there. Right. I mean, and the thing you're looking for – I guess now with the season, what it is, is with, with these revenge games, right? Like, I mean, they let Pitt come down in Chapel Hill and overcome a 14 point deficit. So you would think maybe you can learn from that, whether it's on the tape and yes, road ACC games are not easy. They're not even easy when the team is uh, a top 10 team. Um, but typically with Roy Williams teams and just UNC in general, that the second chance they get at an opponent has is better than the first time and this wasn't even close to as good as the first time and the first time was obviously not that great uh so i think as you move through the season that's what you're looking for um when they get the second go at these teams how they can respond to that and it was not a very good response up in pittsburgh um and yeah like you said no coal and another another loss and kind of hope and pray but i mean you just want to take small victories as you can go obviously you know, moral victories aren't what this team wants. It isn't what UNC goes for and isn't what uh, fans expect. But at this point, that's kind of what you're looking at. And you didn't even really – you didn't get one at Pittsburgh. Um, so I guess what's a moral victory now? I mean, they were down 20 point at halftime. So I guess never get a double-digit deficit. Is that what uh, 
moral victories down the road without Cole. I feel like that's kind of a solid victory if they can never get down 10 to an opponent at this point. Greg, we mentioned off the air, you know, I guess now the sites are set on the NIT, but you're not really sure of that either. One thing that the one takeaway that I got from the Pittsburgh game, and I could be wrong on my memory. I think Pittsburgh made one basket in the last whatever, and Carolina 15, still couldn't really. 15 minutes, yeah. Carolina still couldn't come anywhere close. I mean, that that's just, even without Cole Anthony, I, I don't care how good he is, that's a tough ask for this team to produce when the ACC season really ramps up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think if you're looking for positives, um, I think the fact that North Carolina had a 24-7 edge in second-chance points because they controlled the glass, uh, that's one. They held Pittsburgh to 37.7% shooting. That's one. Uh, to your point, Tommy, they allowed one field goal in the last 50 minutes, although Pitt did have some success getting to the line during that stretch. Um, so there there are some positive things there, but they also still lost by 14 um, at Pittsburgh. And this is a Pittsburgh team, you know, 10 days prior, they broke a 22-game ACC road losing streak in Chapel Hill. Uh, so so it is it is kind of hard to find things to, to praise, but I think for North Carolina, uh, more than anything, uh, they've got to get some semblance of a uh, consistent point guard option. And Jeremiah Francis is having to play, even though he's probably not uh, in a position where he should be playing just because of me, you know, the kid hadn't played really in two years. And so he's still knocking off the rust and trying to learn the offense and playing as a college freshman for the first time, doing the best he can. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not enough. Um, and so he's put in a very difficult, you know, position. And I, I think that's one reason Roy keeps harping on the fact that, you know, they're just happy he's playing. They didn't think they're going to have him. Uh, and, and things would really be bad without him, which I think is kind of what the problem is, is, they had hoped Leakey could be a viable backup point guard, and that just hadn't played out. Um, that's that's not an area where he's comfortable uh, right now, and I think his confidence is down. And when, when Pitt's able to jump out on you early and, and build that big lead, and the reason they did it is because of turnovers. You know, North Carolina had uh, eight turnovers in a 12-possession stretch, and Pitt had, a, I think, a 12-0 points off turnovers edge in the opening you know, 15 minutes of the game. And if, if you're doing those kind of things, uh, you're, you're allowing a team that struggles to score in Pittsburgh to get easy buckets, gives them confidence, gets the crowd into it. And that's just what you cannot do on the road. And I, I did think Carolina played with more effort and more energy in the second half, uh, but because they are so, uh, God, I don't even know what the word is in terms of they can't score. Um, you don't want to be overly, overly harsh, but the guys they cannot score the ball. And so if you can't score the ball, that puts so much stress on every other part of your game plan. Uh, and if you're not able to, to consistently force turnovers, even though you do a decent job holding teams to a low percentage, uh, and your really only strength is inside with, with rebounding, 
and trying to take advantage of, of Garrison Brooks and, and Baycott, uh, you've got to figure out a way to really focus in on that, to m- make that be what you do every single time down the court. Uh, and that's where you, you start. And then kind of from there is, uh, yeah, get, get Cole back. Well, let me dive in re- sort of real quick. Greg, what have you seen out of Leakey that, I mean, I think he's he's got the opportunity here to, to really step in a huge role, and he's been a huge letdown. What have you seen out of him that, that's, that's given him trouble? He's just not comfortable playing point. I mean, he can't, it seems like he's not being able to score very well. He can't shoot, no confidence. This is a guy who we thought would have a breakout season, and he's just been a, a huge disappointment um, thus far this year. What have you seen from him that's maybe holding him back? Well, I think the, the key thing with, with Leakey is I think he's still injured. I don't think he's anywhere close to 100% with that, with that foot, turf toe deal that he's got going on. And so that, that's a big part of it. Um, and from that stems a, a lack of confidence. Uh, he, he, he struggles kind of pushing the offense. He, he struggles running the offense. And I know that he played point guard growing up, um, but it's completely different doing it at this level. And he didn't have to do it any really last year. And then, of course, he got hurt and missed the second half where they really could have used him. And that would have been good for him for this year. Uh, and so I think kind of best case scenarios, he was a guy that was going to be able to play uh, the three for you, uh, you know, maybe be a good defender, uh, operate in transition, maybe be you know, not necessarily a point forward, but be a guy that can help facilitate the offense a little bit. And he just has not been able to do that. And so I, I think the injury is a big part of it. I think confidence clearly is a big part of it. And the fact that he struggles to score is you know, not a very not a very good shooter. Uh, and defensively, you, he's, he's like a step too late, even though he does have great length. And to me, that, that kind of gets back into confidence because you want to and drive and all that. It's tied to you kind of the belief in yourself. And I think he's one of several guys on the, this team that's really struggling from that regard. And like you said, the, the fact that there were so many expectations on him uh, to have a good year this year. And if anybody needed to step up when Cole went down, uh, it was him. And that just has not transpired. Yeah, Ross, let me ask you, um, you know, we keep talking about Cole Anthony coming back and all this. And I think a lot of people on the message boards um, expect Carolina to be significantly better. But let's talk realistic expectations when he comes back. Because I asked Dewey on the post game the other night, will there or has there ever been a Carolina player that walks onto the court with more pressure and more expectations on their shoulders than Cole Anthony will have whenever he comes back. And if there has been, I can't think of one. And Dewey thinks he's up for it. But realistically, what what can North Carolina fans maybe expect? And I'm going to ask all three of you guys the same question, but what what can fans expect um, whenever it happens? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, he's going to have to – he's going to feel like he has to come back and be Superman. And I think he felt that way – Originally, I mean, I felt like he knew he had to do a lot for this team to be really good. And um, it's going to be more so now that they have to kind of make up wins for, for all the losses they had when he came back. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think he's he's one of the few players in the nation who could do that. You know, hopefully he comes back healthy and good to go and can, can carry a lot of the weight for this team. You're going to expect him to score a lot. That's what this team lacks and facilitate a lot and then get this team going in transition and um, – that's what they're going to need, rebounding, scoring transition, and just a lot of point production. I mean, he you think about what he did against Notre Dame. They, the only reason they beat Notre Dame first game of the season was because he scored 34 points and caught on fire in the second half. So 
it's going to be a Cole Anthony show. And the sooner they get him back, the sooner they have chances to get some of these wins. I mean, Miami, NC State, Virginia Tech, Boston College, those could all be games where he can have a huge impact. Um, and so I think the goal now is to just kind of stay above 500. They're going to lose some games with him. Uh, this team is, is not good enough to to kind of win out and the schedule. I mean, we're almost the end of January now. There's, there's not that many games left, and UNC's definitely dug themselves a hole. Gregory, realistic expectations. You're on campus, or you, you, <laughs> you're, you're around campus. What do, what do your fellow classmates think? Um, I think I, – I don't – not a lot of people understand what it takes to, like, go to the NIT – um, so I think talking about campus, people are talking like you hear someone talk about the NCAA tournament. Someone's like, are we going to make it? And then you hear someone go, definitely not. Uh, but we're like, definitely NIT. But then like we're talking and NIT is not necessarily a lock. Um, so people don't really know what to expect out of the team as far as postseason wise goes. I think something that um, we haven't really talked about much, though, as far as realistic expectations is can this team be one of those teams that plays spoil to um, big name programs? And I think that's mainly because we don't really see that much talent, but like Clemson, I mean, coming here, that necessarily wasn't an upset just because of where this team was, but then they go and they upset Duke. Uh, You see teams like South Carolina upset Kentucky. Um, And as far as where, where this season can go, I think if you can get one or two of those games, I guess even one at this point because you don't really don't really expect UNC to beat Duke or to beat Louisville or even UVA at this point. But I think if this team can get that, just one of those wins, I think he will be like get some excitement back around the program, even uh, with Cole Anthony coming back. Cole Anthony coming back is excitement number one, and then maybe getting a big win can be excitement number two. And I think that'll re-energize some hope in the student body at least because there's not very much. Uh, hope around the students and you see it at games in the student section it's been the most let down year as far as student section participation since i've been here it just people don't want to go if you don't get tickets in the lottery you can text three people and all three of those people will be like yeah take my tickets i don't really want to go last year it was life or death if you didn't get tickets it was like i'll give you my left arm and a hundred dollars for a ticket to a simple game that doesn't exist anymore. You can pretty much go to any game you want, uh, which I think kind of explains the excitement around the, the students this year. It, uh, it's interesting how quickly things turn for that age group, um, but it's not unlike the rest of the fan base as far as I can tell. Greg, uh, realistically, I mean, Carolina's 8-9, and nine, and after watching Louisville play um, in Cameron and a couple other times, I, I'm not seeing that one as a possibility Uh, some people have talked about you know at least beat state once or try to beat duke once i mean the problem with all of these games uh, every acc game that we've seen is is some of these teams aren't very good but most all of them can put the ball in the basket with some consistency and like you talked about earlier um, carolina hadn't been able to do that the question is when they come back when cole anthony comes back he can do it, but how does he affect everybody else? I think one guy he affects very positively, at least you would think and you would hope if you follow this team, is Armando Baycott. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
in terms of you know the entry passes, that's something we've discussed a lot. Uh, that's an area where Cole can can help. Uh, he, he'll do a better job because he's a good rebounder. That helps the rebounding aspect, which allows you to get out and transition more, which he can handle that, get some easy buckets. But I do think there's way too much pressure on Cole. I think people need to understand he had a fantastic opener against Notre Dame. Since that point in time, though, in the eight games he played after Notre Dame, he's shooting 34% from the floor. And his assist turnovers twenty-seven to thirty. So it's not as though uh, he was some elite talent on the floor in terms of production uh, before he got hurt. Uh, clearly, we know the expectation. We know that he's going to be a lottery pick and he's going to be a great NBA player. But he's still got to kind of find his rhythm at the college level first. And we, we thought it was going to be automatic with how he played against Notre Dame. But then what happened? People say, whoa, Cole's good. There's not a whole lot else on this team. Let's try to frustrate him. And a lot of teams are able to do that. And I think that's kind of what you've seen with Baycott, too, is because once Cole went away, there's no perimeter threat. Uh, Brooks, give him a lot of credit for the way that he's played. In terms of offensive talent, really, Baycott's it. And so you see a lot of teams really collapsing and trying to frustrate him and be physical with him, and that's worked. Uh, so, yes, Cole will make this team better for sure. He'll help in a lot of regards. But, I mean, I think if you watch the Duke-Louisville game on Saturday, uh, those two teams have a lot of what North Carolina does not have. And it was kind of like a <laughs> – I mean, those were like two legit teams. And that was a that was a game you could see being played in the Elite Eight or the Final Four. And we haven't seen Carolina really that type of game. I mean, they – you, you kind of have to hang your hat on the Oregon game because they played played well in that game. But they're going to have to play like that consistently. And in terms of like the NIT, there were only two teams last year that made the NIT with a record of 500. Uh, and they're both big-name teams, right, in, in Butler and Texas. They were both 16 and 16. That's how they got in. Now, you have a winning record or a 500 or to get into the NIT. You can have a losing record and still get in. But the threshold's real, still really much there. And so when you look at North Carolina, teams eight and nine right now. So if you're going to say, well, you know, 500 is what you're going to have to have to get into the NIT. You're talking about eight and six the rest of the way in ACC play. And that's eight and six against Duke twice, on the road at Virginia Tech, NC State twice, State's playing better, at Florida State, at Notre Dame, uh, at Louisville game, at Syracuse. It's going to be a stretch to find eight wins, and that's still, I mean, that you're not in discussion for NCAA tournament at that point in time. We're just talking about you know, the NIT. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is a lot of people say, well, you know, they'll, they'll get a, a big boost from the selection committee if they play better once Cole gets back. Yes, they will. However, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of, situations that we can reflect on to see how much that factors in. And the, the easy one, and I think most people remember, is two years ago, uh, Notre Dame, you know, had Bonzi Colt, Colson, who was supposed to be, you know, the player of the year, that kind of stuff. He ended up missing, I think, 15 games. And so they were 14 and five. Yeah, that's what it was. They were 14 and five with him in the lineup, six and nine without him. So they finished 20 and 14 overall. And eight and ten in the ACC, 
because they didn't have many uh, Q1 wins. I think they were two and nine. Notre Dame ended up in the NIT. And that was a big discussion point of, whoa, okay, their best player, probably the best player in the country, was out for fifth, and they can't even get in? And so really what I think it is is the selection committee looks at a overall body of work and says, okay, this is a team that's a bubble team. Now, do they have any injuries that affects them? And what that says to me with Notre Dame is that they really weren't even a, a bubble team uh, you know, without Colson. And so for them to get to be a bubble team, they factored his injuries in. Uh, and so that's, that's why they, they were still on the, the short, short side of the, of the measuring stick there. And I think that is, that is the concern for UNC at this point in time. They're going to have to close strong uh, with Cole. And if you can get back to 500 in the ACC, which when we're talking, what's that, nine and four, <laughs> right? Nine and five, I guess, right now, or even 10 and four to close. Uh, that's a tough, tough ask. But if you can do it, then you can make your way into the NCAA tournament. There's a chance, slim chance. Take a second to talk about Johnny T-shirt. Of course, they're sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. And you get 10% off your order if you're a member, uh, premium member of these message boards, of Inside Carolina premium message boards. You can go to johnnytshirt.com. You can go to Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. That uh, code works either place you go whether online or on person in person you get great customer service either place football basketball baseball soccer jerseys anything you need tailgate related whatever you want carolina related johnny t-shirts your place to go for all those needs you can sit right here on your couch johnny t-shirt.com to deliver it straight to your door or you can go see them pop in on franklin street when you're in chapel hill for whatever reason say hello they're very they're great folks Great customer service and great friends and sponsors of this podcast. I'm also going to take a short break to get our other sponsors in here. We're going to take a break, come back. We're going to talk North Carolina football when we come back after the break. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-average do of 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, gentlemen, basketball discussion is over. I'm going to turn to Greg Barnes out of the gate here for the football discussion. Greg, last week, uh, the PFF final grades for Carolina's offense and defense are out. You did the articles on them and really highlight uh, what I want to do in this is highlight what Carolina has returning and how important all this returning, especially on offense, coming back for Carolina, what these grades mean, what Carolina fans should expect um, to see on the football field for Carolina next season. Um, I'll let you get right into it because, quite frankly, at still at this point, I'm not 100% sure I understand how the grading works. Um, I just know the higher your grade, the better you are. So break it down and explain it to us a little bit. Well, I, I think – the key thing with the PFF grades is we, we tend to be biased towards really good plays or really bad plays. And we're like, whoa, well, he had a pick six. I mean, how did he have a bad grade that game? Uh, and, and what transpires is that when they go through it, and they go through it a couple of different times, 
they grade every single play. So if you got a pick six, you get two extra points. You know, it's, it's, it's plus two, plus one, zero, minus one, minus two. That's the spectrum. So you have five options. If you do your job on any given play, you get a zero. If you do you know, better than expected, you help a teammate out, plus one. If you have a, a very big play, you know, interception, a, a sack, those kinds of things, you get plus two. And the same thing goes. If, if you miss a tackle that leads to a touchdown or to a first down, you're going to get deducted. And so uh, it's not the horrible plays. It's not just the big explosive plays. It's every play. And it's that consistency that is, is so important with PFF. Some people put a greater emphasis on explosive plays. Like if that's if all you're concerned with and all you want from your quarterback are these deep bombs that go for touchdowns, you may not appreciate how PFF grades. I, mean, I get it. It's just, but they, they try to be able to do a kind of a consistency. And uh, you know, if we look at North Carolina's offense, um, not only was this group. Uh, headlined by a, a star freshman quarterback who's going to be coming back for sure. I mean, this is a, you know, they, they ended up ranking 22nd nationally and overall offensive grade and pretty much everybody's coming back. And I, when you kind of dive into the, the numbers, what you see is at the skill positions, you have uh, legitimate quality talents who are all coming back. Not only how, and we can talk about how as much as you want, because he, he was fantastic as a freshman. Uh, but Michael Carter and Javante Williams, both those guys are now coming back. Uh, and they they were better than their numbers. And what I mean by that is uh, the majority of their yardage came after contact. So you know, nearly 1,400 of their 1,900 rushing yards were after they were hit. They avoided 105 tackles. Some of those were broken. And so... Those are guys, if they're behind a much-improved offensive line, which it should be, they should have even better numbers next year. And the same goes with the wide receivers. I mean, the big problem with the wide receivers was drops. That was a significant issue. We knew it was going to be because the coaches were talking about it all in the offseason. But you take away the drops, and they've got some very good grades across the ACC and even even nationally. And so really the, the, the main question and I think the, the biggest point of growth for this team, this offense, uh, this offseason, is that offensive line has really got to kind of gel and, and make significant improvements, especially in the run game. They were pretty good protecting for Sam Howe, despite the sack numbers. And part of, you know, half of those probably were on him, uh, just not knowing when to get rid of it, those kind of things. Uh, but they, they really struggled to, to create open gaps for those running backs and the running backs made them look good. And so when you say, you know, if the offensive line can get that area fixed and improved, this offense has the opportunity to really explode moving forward. And uh, I'll let everybody else comment before we, we switch over to defense. Yeah, I'll jump in here. I mean, my comment was going to be on the offensive line because it's kind of clear, you know, Sam Howe, really good. Numbers kind of match up with that. Same with what Greg's Ray said about wide receivers and running backs. Um, but they lose Charlie Heck. And all right, he was, you know, he wasn't even the top pass blocker, and he was the second best run blocker on a pretty weak run blocking offensive line. So that's the guy you lose. So you have a guy who the guy's probably gonna step in for him is probably Joshua Zudu, um, who played some at tackle and some at guard as well. But they returned Tucker, and Tucker was the the best 
run blocker for this team and the second best pass blocker according to the grades on PFF. And you have Marcus McKeithen back, who is the most consistent uh, pass blocking. And I think overall, the most consistent offensive lineman for uh, overall, according to some guys we'll talk to, he was he played every snap and he did pretty well on both run and pass blocking. So you bring back a great core there. The question I'm looking at is who's going to be center? Is Brian Anderson going to be able to hold off the the true freshman who I'm pretty sure he redshirted last year. His name is escaping me. But the Ty true Murray. freshman. Yeah, Ty Murray. Um, so that'd be interesting to watch there and, and and seeing what happens with that left guard spot. Does Jordan Tucker move over to left guard? Does Zudu just come in for a left guard and have Tucker stay at right? But these grades will improve as these guys become more comfortable with each other. You got to think that Montillas gets better, McKeithen gets better, and Tucker get better with a full season of reps underneath them. Um, and, you know, you're writing all these kind of preview stories and these off-season stories, and every time I'm like, all right, they bring everybody back at running back, everybody back at wide receiver. Sam Howe, who's a Heisman hopeful, they lose two, probably one and a half starters with Nick Polino in there. What's going to happen there? And you've got to think that even though Heck is one of their top offensive linemen, that they do bring back the majority of the offensive line. And the natural sense is that they get better with more time together. That's the group that needs the most time to gel talked about it so many times so that'll be what that's going to be the main focus of this offseason is that offensive line additionally i think josh downs is going to be able to be a player at wide receiver next year he's um college ready he's polished he's one of the best receivers in the nation on all these all-american games there so that's the one guy i'm looking at um wide receiver skill position wise to step in and make an immediate impact for UNC's offense next season Gregory, uh, most important person back on offense, not named Sam Howe. And maybe not named uh, Carter or Javante Williams. So not the quarterback. Um, probably Daz Newsome is my I, – I'd go with Daz. Um, I mean, he obviously had a phenomenal year. Uh, so did Deami Brown. Um, Ross mentioned the drops, Greg mentioned the drops. Um, they're an issue. Uh, but even with them, they're two, still two solid, uh, receivers in the ACC and, and the nation. I mean, it's not easy to get a thousand yards. Uh, but I mean, we've got Sam Howell throwing it to him and, but I mean, Diami showed his deep ball ability to go and get it and get the one-on-ones was impressive and to kind of beat his man on man coverage. Um, Daz a little more uh, kind of over the middle game. Um, I think it needs to. Right, let me back up. You mentioned um, losing Charlie Heck and losing uh, Nick Polino and offensive line struggles, but pass blocking was still solid. Uh, I mean, Sam Howell kind of struggled under pressure, but they had one of the they had a top three, I believe, or maybe fourth pass blocking grade in the ACC. Um, and so that's where if that can get even better and Sam has even more time, I think that's where Daz will kind of get going because he is so fast. Um, he can kind of extend it more over the middle and that's where Sam can get him the ball and Daz can do what he does best, which is kind of an open space. So that's why I think Daz is going to be the guy to watch next year. Most exciting coming back with an improved pass blocking on that offensive line. It's Unbelievable to me to look at Sam Howell's numbers, and this is why I slacked you, Greg, about Joe Burrow. Look at Howell's numbers, and his numbers aren't even close to Joe Burrow's for LSU. And and folks, 
see this and think Carolina can take that next step to being a, a higher level or elite team. I mean, there's still the gap is still huge there. Um, so therefore I think the other side of the ball is where Carolina has got to really get a lot better to, to, you know, run up the food chain towards more of an elite program or a very good program, Greg. And then, and on defense, clearly Chaz Surratt coming back makes a huge difference. There are some holes to plug though, uh, for North Carolina and Jay Bateman's defense. Yeah, and it's it's kind of what we've talked about all year long, um, is that the, the question for this team next year is how do you fill the gap up front with Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge? Um, you know, I think Crawford's always been kind of an unsung hero for this team, and you know, Strobridge has got and you know, uh, Jay Bateman's consistently called him the, the most dynamic uh, player on the defensive side of the ball, and I think. Well, not I think what transpired early in the year is that is that Mac Brown and after they won those first two games, they started thinking, all right, well, you know, the Coastal is not a great division by any stretch. If we lean on our starters uh, without having to endure the, the drop off with that the twos and the threes, maybe we can win this division. And they they leaned on them hard. And, you know, when we were talking about the Clemson game. Crawford had you know, twice as many snaps already as, as some of the guys starting for Clemson on the interior because they needed him. And once North Carolina uh, got knocked out of the coastal race, really after that Virginia game, then they were saying, okay, well, now we can start really building for the future uh, because we're out of the race now, so we don't have to rely on Crawford and Strowbridge quite as much. And that's when you saw their snaps uh, plummet, really. and because they knew they had to make up for those guys you know, next year. And I think that's still the, the biggest issue is who's going to step in there. And, you know, uh, Raymond Vahasek, well, in stretches late, he benefited playing, you know, some teams that really aren't as good offensively as what North Carolina played earlier in the year. But, you know, any kind of confidence builder is a good thing. You know, uh, you know when you look at guys like Zach Gill, he graded out well, uh, Tamon Fox, uh, and, uh, Jaleel Taylor played a lot at that defensive tackle position alongside of Crawford late in the year. And so you saw some guys really step in. It would not surprise me, and Ross mentioned Brian Anderson, it would not surprise me to see North Carolina try to get actively involved in the uh, transfer portal market for you know defensive tackles and for possibly a center just to provide some depth and to provide alternative options because those are going to be key positions for this team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, defensive line-wise, I think uh, you've got some decent pieces, and the play of Crawford and Strobridge really made everybody else look better than maybe what they were. And so that that for sure is the, the biggest piece of the puzzle for this team in the offseason. Let me, let me tee it up for you, because Greg mentioned the transfer portal and you know getting extra pieces in positions of need. Uh, Mike Brown proven that he's not – above going out and getting somebody he thinks can either compete or take a job from a, a an established starter. And you get that news with Furman's place kicker coming in for Carolina. So your thoughts on Greg's part there, the last part specifically. Yeah, I'm not sure of the scholarship numbers um, in May because obviously we know with uh, the Quincy Roche possibility that having someone come in now, it's either too late or they don't, they don't have room. 
So it'd have to come in at May or, or one of the summer sessions. And I don't know the numbers. I don't know how many they can take. Um, Cause obviously a lot of people graduate then. For example, Noah Turner is still on scholarship, but he leaves uh, and, and will be a grad transfer starting in May. So there's different scholarships opening up then. Yeah. I, I think it would be very, very wise to get an extra body on defensive tackle uh, center. I, I think, they should be fine with, with either Anderson or Ty Murray. Um, and then maybe have a third guy that can provide depth, but we're definitely going to use. He's definitely going to miss the dynamic uh, defensive tackle. I don't think anybody that uh, Greg mentioned is going to be the playmaker of Jason Strobridge or be able to you know, call for a double team and dominate on the run game like Aaron Crawford. But there's some guys who played now, you know, Vahasic, Raymond Vohasic has um, shown some promise. He said he has never been in a, in a Division One weight training program, conditioning program for a full time. He came in late last year, didn't get in the full offseason. So he was pretty pumped about really getting in, getting after it in January and through the offseason into, into training camp. So that should be good to see. Tamari Fox, they're, they're pretty high on as well. Zach Gill's been a little disappointing, but again, he's still young. Of course, um, guys like Jaleel Taylor have played a lot as well. So they have some guys. We actually see who steps up, who gets enough snaps. I still think that's going to be a position of weakness next year. Um, it'd be great for them to get a uh, get a senior who's who's college ready to step in, at least provide uh, some backup snaps at defensive tackle. I would look to some of uh, the, the true freshmen to play a uh, Miles Murphy or um, Clyde Pinder to get some chances inside. So I think while that portion of UNC's team takes a step back. I think linebackers are going to be better. And I think the secondary is going to end up being a strength and a very deep, deep position group for UNC next season. So it's going to be kind of flipped from this year to 2020. But uh, if they can find some players inside, it can be a, it can be a pretty solid group. I still think it's a year away, maybe two years away from being really, really talented when these entering freshmen start to be uh, sophomores and juniors. Gregory, same question I asked you on the offensive side. Not named Chaz Surratt. Uh, Patrice Rene. Uh, just because, I mean, he – devastating injury at the beginning of the season this year. He was going to be one of those leaders on the defense. Um, and he just had to sit on the sidelines and watch uh, the corners in the secondary struggle a little bit. Uh, injury ridden with Trey Morrison. Uh, Storm Duck did have a very – very good uh, freshman year. Uh, I think it was the second best defensive grade uh, on UNC's defense. But I think if Patrice, Patrice Renee coming back, if he can play what he's capable of and be the number one corner, then you've got Trey Morrison on the other end and can work Storm Duck in. So Ross's comment about how the secondary is going could be a strength. Definitely, definitely could and should, which I think is why the secondary is going to be something to watch is if they can step up and kind of be that uh, that position group that Mac likes to talk about, oh, who's the best position group right now? Last year, it was consistently the running backs. I mean, there was really only the defensive linemen kind of was that group for the defense. But if the secondary can kind of step up and get in there, um, I think that'll help you and see a lot, especially with Patrice Renee's leadership. And then now that Storm Duck's got a, a full year under his belt, can work those three guys in um, and then some others. And that definitely should be a strength. And there's going to be a lot of pressure because everyone's going to expect the secondary to be that much better since they have 
had to deal with so many injuries and they're going to be getting those guys back and healthy. It's going to be, um, like Ross said, it's going to be flipped. Back end will be the strength, and they'll have to support the front end. It, I think Carolina's defense will be better on the whole, and I think there'll probably be a name that we're not talking about at all that maybe uh, logs major minutes or major snaps on that defensive line, interior defensive line. I, I think that'll be Tamari Fox. I think he's going to take a huge step. Um, and But I think having your defensive line as your weaker unit is – not what you ideal you'd rather have that be stronger than your your back back well, I mean, that was the issue for clemson a little bit this year and granted they played in the acc so they got by with it but i mean <laughs> this was kind of a rebuilding year for them up front they lost all four starters right yeah and so even though they're reloading back. yeah they're reloading so they'll be much better next year and so in a down year, Clemson goes to the championship game, but you know that's a that's a different matter. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> a down year, and they and they played for the national championship, and it took um, a ridiculous team just off the charts to take them out. That's going to do it for this one on the Beat Podcast. Not a lot to talk about on one side, plenty to look forward to on the other. Ross Martin, Gregory Hall, and Greg Barnes. I appreciate y'all taking time out of your day to talk to me, but that'll wrap this one, boys. All right, see you, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Enjoy your MLK day. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.